The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling right here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how's it going, man? Ah, wonderful. Had a good good NFL week though. Had a good NFL week. The Colts killed me early, but everything else uh, came through. Um, you know, would you have ever expected the Jaguars to win a game? Uh, by shutout. It's like, <laughs> it's like the kiss of death. You go to the you go to the Colts. You know, when's supposed to be big bounce back year? He plays like shit. I'm like, oh, okay, good move. They picked up Matt Ryan. You know, he's been playing well for a shitty team like the Falcons for years. You know, obviously they got to the Super Bowl years ago. And Jesus Christ, they're terrible. Like, they have pretty good defense. They got a great running back. I thought they had, uh, you know, a really good quarterback. Like, they won probably nine games last year with wins. It's like, well, this is a major upgrade. This team's going to be really good. And yeah. they should have lost the game against the Texans, who suck yeah. also. So, like, they played, like, the two worst teams, and they're 0-1-1. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, it's just, just really interesting, especially after last year being on uh, on Hard Knocks. Um, it's just interesting to see them go from what it was last year to how horrible they are this year. And I got a feeling at the end of this season, uh, if they don't turn it around, coach is gone by, what, week 12 maybe, week 13? I think they make a move. Uh, You know, I guess we're going to see what happens, you know. But, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas really uh, moved on with his career from home improvement and became a really good running back, you know. Yeah, yeah. The kid's huge now. It's amazing. Uh, you know, this weekend uh, you had a little future shot going on down there at the FSW Arena. Um, let's get to the the big story from that, the announcement. Now, Joe DeFalco rarely, rarely appears uh, in front of uh, the fan base of FSW at a live show. But you had an important announcement to make. What the hell is going on with Nick Zandon? Well, you know, that there was two things, you know, he probably would have been suspended for attacking Nick Bugatti. Nick Bugatti bought a ticket to the show. Nick Bugatti is not on the roster of FSW. Now, people say, well, you know, he jumped the rail It's he didn't jump the rail. He went in there and started filming that I guess Clutch told him to. And the secure the crack security staff didn't know. So, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, Nick Bugatti attacks him. Well, 
unless Nick Xander wants to press charges, that's a whole separate issue. So first he attacks Nick Bugatti, but then like a fan, I guess, try to grab his arm to calm him down or whatever. And it wasn't, it was nothing, but he turned around and then like, maybe he thought it was somebody else. Maybe he thought it was clutch. I don't know, but he just turned around and, and he smashed the guy sitting in the, uh, in the bleachers. So, you know, there might have been some discussion about what he did with Bugatti, but now it wasn't even worth the discussion because there was, you know, nothing else we can do. It's like, you know, he hit a fan. Like, the guy could sue me. Right. And I have now I have another partner besides Rocky T. How bad is that going to be? I guess uh, sharing the custody of the championship belt will uh, will be the uh, the future for the FSW championship. Um, so here you got a wrestler who is undoubtedly uh, a guy who is making waves around the West Coast. Uh, Nick is uh, gathering some belts now. Uh, he's got a following, and he makes a mistake. Um, is there any penance for, you know, that idea of, hey, uh, you know, I, I swung because, you know, so, someone was physically touching me. That Does that in itself, if the fan is there and makes just a little bit of contact with the, the wrestler, I mean, you know, the old days it used to be the Wild West where some old lady would, you know, <laughs> slap some some guy who is a bad guy and uh you know the guys would would fight back um i mean does he have some justification in, in taking a, a shot or is it just uh you know covering your own ass not in my book you know what i mean it's like generally it's the wild west if uh, if a fan climbs the guardrail and gets into his area but if he's not in his area, then you can't go over the guardrail and do that. You know, just can't be done. Do you have uh, a time limit on the suspension? Do we know any of the details on that? No, we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. You know, he obviously is gonna be you know at least thirty days. And, you know, we will see, you know, right now there's, there's a lot of other things to worry about. Sure. Uh, and final question, you know, just because we know uh, Nick is a, a fan favorite and has been, you know, uh, building his way up, uh, <laughs> showing some, some, uh, you know, great promise, uh, if we're talking about 30 days, we're talking right around the time of Mecca. Would that make Nick Sander potentially ineligible for Mecca? Well, the Mecca, there's a, the Halloween show. You know, if he's suspended till November 1st, just for say, that means he's going to miss the next three shows. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with that. But otherwise on the show, uh, great showing from none other than the Suavecitos in uh, singles competitions. Uh, you had, uh, you know, Danny in uh, a fatal four-way, and uh, he 
won that match. And even though Ricky G was not successful in defeating Matt Vandegrift for the No Limits title, he really brought it for, for Matt, man. Uh, did you think that, or did even Matt show that uh, he thought that Ricky would be such a presence, man? Because that's, I mean, that was an impressive showing for him. And I think he kind of made a little bit of a statement. Well, we we know that the, the, the talent is definitely there. And, and Matt Vandergriff, he's been, you know, maybe the best wrestler in, you know, FSW. You know, Jay Vidal, you know, a toss-up, I guess you could say, over like the last year, year and a half. So it's not unexpected. We know Ricky's had some decent matches, good matches. You know, the Suavecitos. But they also have worked some singles matches, you know. So the idea is what's necessary for the show. You know, when it's Future Shock, you're trying to put a show together. But you're trying to give the youngest guys some opportunities. And by giving those opportunities, you know, we I was putting together the card. And a couple of the main issues were... We needed a marquee match. You know, we really needed a match that was going to be like, you know, for the regular fans, like, hey, this is a good FSW match. And if we put the Suavecitos in with the makeshift tag team to get some younger guys on, the question would have been, who's Matt Vandergriff going to work? You know, we already have Gregory Sharp working one of the younger guys making his debut. So the key is trying to get a good enough match to be the main event of the show. And, you know, we weren't going to give away Matt Vandegriff and Gregory Sharp, you know, at Future Shock on three days notice. So it made the most sense to put Ricky in the singles and then do a four way because the other issue was we're doing seven, eight matches. And if we don't do the tag, now we're doing all singles matches. Right. And you kind of want to break it up a little bit. So we broke it up by doing a uh, a triple threat, and then we did the fatal four-way. So by doing that, you know, at least it's spaced out instead of singles match, singles match, singles match, singles match all the way through. You know, you, you're trying to break it up a little bit. You know, you, you're trying to entertain, you know, the, the cell is the, the, the young guys. We had like three who made their debut. And then we had a couple who made their FSW debut. And a guy like Andy wrestled for us years ago before he went to China. Then he got a broken collarbone at a Juventud Guerrera seminar. And after that, after he healed, he didn't come back. He was actually gone for a couple of years. So, you know, this was his first match back. Yeah. And we were just trying to give opportunities to as many people as we can or as we could. And, you know, overall, the the younger guys delivered. You know, a lot of people also very much enjoyed Manny Lemons and Devin Reno. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was it was uh, I think it was really uh, a good move to see uh, Devin work Manny Lemons. Uh, you know, Manny I don't know if he gets the credit he deserves sometimes. Uh, he's a solid worker. And uh, 
really good to see. Yeah, and we, and we brought him back, and unfortunately, uh, the match that he did in his return a few weeks back was just a mess. Yeah. So it was like he, hey, can I get, love to get another opportunity? I'll get down here, you know. And I gave him a guy that I thought would be a good match for him, but also a really good match for Devin Reno. Yeah, and it worked out. It worked out wonderfully. Uh, you know, you brought up Gregory Sharp. Uh, Gregory Sharp went up against uh, a debuting Damian Morningstar. Yeah, uh, Lucifer's brother. How, how much did you know about Damian Morningstar before uh, he came in? Well, he's a trainee at the FSW facility. And initially, he wasn't going to be on the card. Figured we'd give him a little more time to go. Uh, then, uh, the other uh, couple weeks ago, Kenny King, he put together some matches and then he gave, he gave me the, uh, the rundown of who he was impressed with the most. And he was one of the guys. So it was like, okay, let's figure out a way to get him on the show. Um, watch back the match. I, what I watched with him there, you know, he asked me for my opinion and I thought he was extremely hesitant. Uh, you know, the times he was, you know, starting to get some offense, that he was very slow to the, uh, you know, it's Gregory Sharp. What are you waiting for? You know, yeah. and it just seemed like maybe being the first match, people are going to be nervous. We understand that. And, you know, generally you, you can't go anywhere but up. You know, he's yeah. a talented kid. I jokingly call him Chris Strong because he reminds me if he was Chris Bay's brother and he's very athletic and I expect bigger, big things from him. Uh, unfortunately, this match is definitely a starting point and he did some good stuff and he took a beating well, but now he needs to turn that around. You know, future shocks a show where we give the younger guys uh, a little bit more than we would say, for a regular high octane taping, you know, if you're a young guy, you're probably put in a position to make the other guy look strong, which is also a great attribute to have when you make somebody look good. It gives you more opportunities. Right. Um, another guy that I was interested in, cause I, I'm not familiar with him is, uh, uh, Jimmy Jack, uh, you know, I, I, you know, newer guys, uh, do you think that a guy like Jimmy Jack, when you see the crowd get behind, you know, the a, a, a guy that they might not be too familiar with, um, does that raise your eyebrows or is it more of uh, the content in the match itself when you, you know, go back and kind of talk things over? with some of the trainers or, or see, you know, a replay of the match. Um, or is it a combination of getting that feeling of what the fans are feeling? Uh, because I mean, raw Reese, you know, he's still on the upswing. And uh, I was kind of surprised that the fans got behind Jimmy Jack like they did. Yeah. I was actually in the back and all of a sudden they introduced them and I'm like, who are all these people and why are they cheering for this guy that they shouldn't know in any way, you know? And 
What's funny is uh, a few months back, Sin Bodhi did an event, uh, I guess, whatever, his lucha thing or whatever he does at the uh, Sunset Park. And obviously they were low on guys. So I guess this guy, Ken, who's training to manage and uh, Jimmy Jack, he put on the show. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, this guy is barely trained, you know. Uh, you put him in a match. Oh, he was over. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you say, you know. <laughs> People are like popping for Jimmy Jack, you know, the, a lot of the younger guys and, and things like that. So, again, here was another guy. He wasn't on the card, uh, but he performed obviously well enough. You know, Kenny gave me four people that he was most impressed with. And Jimmy Jack and Damian Morningstar were two of them. So it was like, okay, we're figuring out where we're going to put him. Uh, the day before the show, he comes up to me, you know, hey, Joe, you know, what do I got to do to get on the show? You know, I really want to get on the show. I'm like, well, uh, everybody wants to get on the fucking show. So, you know, it's basically a spot. If I have a spot for you, I'm not going past eight matches, so I can't just put you on the show and right. do another match just to do another match. You know, obviously, Kenny puts you over, so it puts you in a position to where you kind of want to do something, you know what I mean, for somebody, yeah. because he's a guy who uh, works extremely hard. And he's always there to help. He's always there for setup. And the thing is, a few months back, he got COVID and he stopped training for literally four or five months. And I guess he had some breathing issues and other stuff, but he was always around. I'm like, oh, are you training again? He's like, no, I just miss it. I need to be here. You know, I'm just looking to help. I'm just waiting for the doctor to clear me. So a couple of months ago, the doctors cleared him and here we are. Yeah, I mean that's and 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 again, this the the cool thing about Future Shock is the fact that these guys get opportunities, and um, you can see, you know, when when fans react, it's it's pretty cool to see guys like that kind of just get over, um, and especially when you have guys like Kenny King or Sin Bodhi uh, putting in the word like that. That that's where else can you get that? You know, in a school where you're literally um, being pitched by guys who have been in the business for years and know their shit. And, you know, you get, you know, sometimes a you, you get clunkers. Like you said, sometimes you get nerves and, and whatnot, but it's it's learning. But then you, you get these little moments that just are really cool. Um well, we were fortunate. Uh, Remy, Cody, and Sin were all there, and they all had a piece in putting some of the matches together. You know, Cody was involved with the Reese match, and uh, Sin Bodhi was majorly involved in the triple threat with Tanaya, Flyboy Freddy, and Jeffrey Excellence. Yeah. Uh, I like the way the finish ended up. It was a submission move where he ended up getting the cover before the submission. Well done. 
you know, and again, it, it, you know, it looks like no big deal, but you got to understand, you know, Flyboy Freddie from Arizona, he's still relatively new also. Yeah. So it isn't like he's this six-year vet that's been around forever. You know, he's a young guy, too, from Dom's school. So, yeah. you know, Kevin Koa looked super strong. You know, between Koa and Raw Reese, might want to have to do a, uh, you know, lifting weights contest because Reese threw around Jimmy Jack, who's a big boy, very yeah. easily. And Oliver is a big boy, too. And Koa just manhandled him. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's so impressive. And did you think just just a few years back, even, that you would get this wave of students from Dom's school in Arizona because it's, I mean, you look up and down that future shot card and, you know, here are guys who are hungry and showing that they want it and they're stepping up every time they get the opportunity, which is, I mean, that, that says a lot and it shows that, um, you know, that school is really upping their game. Um, man, what, what does that mean to you to have that resource and when are you going to potentially start invading Arizona with the FSW brand, uh, you know, maybe doing co-branded shows? Well, we, we've had an open invitation at Dom and Gallo, and right now they're just getting their feet wet and, and reestablishing themselves after the pandemic. And I've said to him on many occasions, you know, especially if you look at their bigger shows, you know, they're using Gregory Sharp and, and Remy and Brett the Threat and the Suavecitos and, you know, numerous guys that are FSW branded guys along with the Hammerstone and Graves and Class and, and Grizz Brody and, and everybody else. So, you know, it, it's easily set up, but, you know, again... We have a lot going on. You know, I've reached out, and then hopefully it is definitely something. You know, they had a venue they were happy with. The place closed down. Boom. You know, and then they're working on getting a different venue. And then they do a similar thing called Slam You, which is like our future shock. Yeah. Where a lot of the younger guys get on that show. So they're taught by good people. I know Hammerstone and Graves are around with Gallo. And they don't fuck around, man. They take shit seriously. Yeah. You know? So you either learn or get the fuck out. Yeah. And, and obviously we've seen when, you know, the first edition was Class who came yeah. in, who has all the tools to be – he already was a champion in Nevada State. You know, he has yeah. all the tools to be the heavyweight champion down the line. He needs. He just needs more experience. But, you know, he's got he's got a persona. He, he can talk on the microphone. He looks like a million bucks. You know, he's a he's a, a doctor of psychiatry and smarter than most of you guys. Not me, but probably you. <laughs> I can I can verify that class is definitely smarter than me. So um, that brings up an interesting point. I mean, classes. Uh, 
getting very close to, you know, being a hundred percent again. Um, you know, Hammerstone has been your champ for a long time. He's obviously a fan favorite. Class is despised by the FSW fans. They know each other very well. Uh, is that something that we could potentially see down the line uh, with Class getting that opportunity at Hammerstone? You know, absolutely. The, the, the thing is, the time frame's tough, you know. I heard him say something about October, and then I also heard him say something about December. So either way, I think uh, class will be a part of FSW shows uh, sooner than later, whether he's wrestling or he is just bringing his presence to the, uh, the Vegas fan base who like nothing better than to hear him on the microphone. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like the fans are uh, are chomping at the bit to uh, have class come out and, and talk. Uh, was that the anniversary show that uh, class, class got back? Yeah, how was that? I'm like, dude, how long are you going to fucking talk? You know, make your point. <laughs> uh, um, you know, when you, when you look at Future Shock, uh, obviously – uh, this was, uh, you know, a show showcasing the younger guys. Uh, and now we're starting to uh, get ready for high octane, which is going to be before uh, Mecca. Um, we'll talk about Mecca in a second, but with the upcoming high octane, uh, what do you see in terms of, is there anything planned, uh, anything to announce right now? Um and uh, is that something that you've even started really thinking about since it's, uh, you know, just a couple of days after Future Shock? Well, we definitely jump starting. Uh, we're not going to wait. Uh, Gregory Sharp will defend against Damian Drake on October 8th. Uh, Matt Vandegrift will be on hand. He's the guy that will work every single show, you know. He's the MVP so far this year. And, yeah. you know, we're going to see who, you know, who he's going to have to wrestle on the eighth. Uh, we had talked about Vandegrift and Danny Limelight at the Mecca. And then PCW announced today that they're doing Matt Vandegrift versus Danny Limelight two days earlier. So it's like, yeah, you know, we try to get these fresh matchups. And he said he worked them a lot of times, but he hasn't worked them in four years. Well, Matt Vandegrift yeah. is totally different, and Danny Limelight's pretty different. You know, four years ago, those guys were nowhere near the top of the games that they're on now. So, you know, I'd be excited to see that match. And, you know, I was on the phone today with a, uh, a former champion in pretty much every wrestling promotion in the world that he's ever wrestled for including WWE. What and you're getting? Oh, and really? FSW. So, ah. guy who was a champion in every promotion, he literally worked. And he's worked all the big ones. Uh, could this guy have been a former Mecca champion? Uh, he could have been. You know, we're trying to put together a monster main event 
for the Mecca Grand Championship. And, you know, right now, two guys that were FSW heavyweight champions will be in the match. And we're looking for a third guy who, let's just say, will be another former FSW champion. So, you know, we we got guys on the wait list of who we're talking about using. And we're just trying to make sure everything works out. As well as, you know, discussions with another, you know, former WWE Intercontinental Champion who has never wrestled for FSW, who we're looking for to make their debut. And the masterpiece, as we saw, Chris Masters is a part of the show. Uh, the Warrior Champion, Casey Navarro, makes yeah. his return. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what's going on. Davey Richards, former Ring of Honor champion, current MLW Openweight champion. So we have champions all over the place. We just missed. And I guess I'm going to announce the match because we just announced the participant. So Viva Van will be wrestling Dark Sheik, which is, I guess you could say, the first match. You know, a lot of accolades in GCW, a lot of buzz. Yeah. Uh, we think it's going to be uh, another big-time matchup at the Mecca. Yeah, and you talk about, uh, you know, I, th- I think we've we've talked about this, uh, just you and me, is uh, that transformation in terms of uh, where the Dark Sheik has, you know, come from and built up to, it, it's pretty wild. Um, so that sounds like a, a fantastic matchup for Viva Van. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Viva Van has a lot of belts, has a lot of bookings. So there always is a chance that, you know, she might slip up and uh, Dark Sheik might take that FSW women's title, correct? It is possible. You know, it's a pretty even matchup, you know, yeah. either way. So, you know, we were even thinking about having a former women's champion in that match, Taya. But, you know, just a lot of stuff going on. I uh, reached out to Dark Sheik, and the deal was done. Nice. Well, that's always so, good. You know, don't write off Taya yeah. for against all odds anywhere down the line. No escape. Anytime you have a former women's champion who's now the AAA champion and the MLW women's champion. Oh, technically she's the MLW featherweight champion, not right. women's champion. So I guess that means she can wrestle anybody. Like Danny Rose would probably fit in that featherweight division, right? You know, now you just gave him the uh, you just gave him the fuel. You're never going to hear. Uh, the end of that one, you know, he's just going to keep asking for that match now. Uh, with uh, with Impact being here on the 21st and 22nd, uh, have you made any overtures to uh, some of uh, the Impact guys who 
maybe have never worked a mecha before um, and would be interesting to see. Uh, one of the first guys that comes to my mind is a guy like PCO. I, I would pay a lot of money to see a PCO versus a funny bone. Against who? Funny bone. Oh. Uh, we haven't really reached out too much. I talked to Callahan about maybe doing a joint show, but we decided to go a different way. And we don't know, you know, availabilities. But, yeah, if we're looking for a match for Vandegrift and it's not a Danny Limelight, um, universally a lot of people would love to see Rich Swan take on Matt Vandegrift. So there's something that might go there. Some people would like to see a Trey Miguel versus a Matt Vandegrift. Yeah. So there's a lot of possibilities. You know, we got a whole roster that's going to be here, so it keeps the flights cheaper. Uh, maybe they work out a better deal because they've already worked two events. But we filled this card up. There, there just isn't a lot of slots. Yeah. So, you know, we're also going to do something a little different when it comes to the pre-show for the Mecca. Uh, we're going to make it similar to like a AEW or WWE that we're going to offer it live on YouTube, Facebook, everything that we do, but we're also going to do a couple of matches and we're not talking about a pre-show match that features, you know, the younger guys. We're talking about if the match combinations, a TBD, for example, we need them on the show. But the way things are working out, they may not be on the main card. So they may defend the titles on the pre-show. Right. And a guy like Cutthroat Cody, there, there's a lot of FSW guys who've been around for a long time that are deserving of spots. So at least if we do these couple of matches, because it's going to be a bigger show, you right. know. So why not give these guys opportunity to wrestle in, a, in an important situation? You know, we got Tom Lawler back. We got the 1%, the West Coast Wrecking Crew. It was, it was a good journey to, uh, to New Japan show uh, the week before. You know, I got to see one of my favorite people, Che Cabrera, the 1%, Lawler, Limelight. You know, a, a good crew of people that, in a perfect world, I'd love to use those guys a hell of a lot more. Sure. So, you know, we're, we're going to see. I'm reaching out to Che uh, Cabrera about October 8th. Him and Tito in a tag, as a tag team, they've been great. But right now, uh, I got Tito for the 23rd. There's another match I'll announce for you, Tito versus Toa. I don't know if I mentioned it last week. There but we that, go. you know, those are two two big-time matches already that we have. And, you know, maybe Che makes his return on October 8th. Yeah. You know, talked with all, as I like to call them, the alumni. You know, they always have a place in, in my heart for things that they did before they were stars. Sure. Well, and again, it's future stars of wrestling. So, of course, uh, 
uh, you know, that that is, uh, you know, something that you should be proud of and, and carry, you know, close to your heart because these guys, you know, work their asses off to get to where they are now. And Future Stars of Wrestling was, you know, one of the biggest influences on that journey. Um, you know, you, you said the 1%. Let me ask you this. Uh, I know the Suavecitos just uh, announced that they have a match coming up with the 1% in a, another company. That made me think, and I don't think I've ever asked you this. When you have current FSW guys might be a little younger who go out and get an opportunity to wrestle guys who uh you know are established uh fsw x champions uh been around for a while something like the one percent would guys like the suavecitos come to you and just kind of ask a little bit of advice or ask some of the trainers advice how to work uh, guys like that, um, you know, w- what is that relationship between uh, guys who have been with SSW for a while and, you know, have gone on to other things and some of the younger guys who are getting those opportunities outside to wrestle those guys in, in other companies? Well, as I told Remy today, because he, he, he let me know, but I had found out from my son who sent me the, the flyer. I said, the good news is the show's happening uh, after the Mecca. So those guys, the Suavecitos, could buy a ticket, sit in the first row, and they can scout the 1% and maybe pick up some pointers. You know, money money well spent. <laughs> so, so, so the guys who can't pay you for class are going to buy tickets. <laughs> Got to try to get it one way or the other. <laughs> but the truth is no nah, none of these guys really ever say hey i know these guys worked for you for years because in reality what am i going to tell them to look out for you know Roy isaac's gonna uh is, is gonna grab you off the ground and basically dead weight suplex you sure. you know yeah. The only problem is if he dead weight suplexes Danny Rose, he might end up in the eighth row. <laughs> Royce Isaacs is used to doing that to guys like uh, Suzuki. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, and- made dead, he made dead weight suplex Danny and Ricky at the same time. <laughs> and, uh- and I'd probably throw him a few extra bucks in the envelope for that. The same, and if uh, anyone listening uh, happens to just pass along this clip, uh, and oh, they're uh, watching. They'll watch it tomorrow. They'll watch it when it airs. If someone can make that happen, I would. I would love to see that. I that would be impressive as hell. I I Uh, think ninety ninety percent of the uh, people who walk into the FSW building for training and wrestling, listen to this. Because, you know, no matter what you say good, they'll pick that one thing that is negative and pounce all over it. Sure. Sure, because, Joe, you you say, you know, you say quite a few negative things, well, apparently. Sometimes they're deserving. Sure, well, 
they have enough. I guarantee you this. Those kids and the people who work Future Shock have enough of the fellow kids who want to work Future Shock or just started working Future Shock. Tell them how everything they did was great. And we all know that's fucking bullshit. That everybody does some good things and everybody does some bad things. And in some cases... Some people do way more bad shit in a match than good shit. It's called a bad match. It happens. And if you're not being told that this is the shits, it it becomes a little harder to work on things. Like if your punches are the shits and everybody says they're great, why would you work on them? Yeah. They're great. Everybody told me. The well, kid who's been in class three days told me how great that looked. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um, generationally speaking, because I know when I trained, you know, tough love, man. You, you know, you you listen. Tom Howard was not coddling fucking Heidenreich, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. Heidenreich's no. a big, crazy motherfucker. Yeah, no. No, not at all. Not at all. And when you got Nathan Jones in there, too, I'll tell you, man, uh, you know, two of the biggest motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life and um, in, in two different personalities for for sure. And a guy like Tom, he, you know, he got the point home to you. But in this day and age, how are trainers, how are you as well, able to kind of take into that new thing that I, I you know it's hard to kind of grasp is people's feelings like how does that very, very important these days yeah how does how does that relate when you're trying to be become a professional wrestler and you're trying to you, you need to learn and you need to listen and you need to respect how does that happen where you are able to manage that idea of, of people's feelings? Because to me, that's a foreign concept. Well, you know, it's kind of like when I played baseball in high school and, and coaching and, and things like that. Everybody reacts differently to way they are spoken to. Some people, if you, if, if you say negative things and you talk to them, they take it personally. They don't understand that you're trying to help them, but you're being very uh, truthful in explaining to them. And then there's some people you need to coddle. And unfortunately, everybody gets treated differently because they have to be. Because some people don't react well. And now all of a sudden... You say, hey, this, that, and the other thing, and then they go in there, and it's in their head, and they fucking shit the bed. Then you got other people who are like, fuck this motherfucker. I'll show him how good I am, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to fucking kick ass. The dog won't shut up. (laughs) The dog has a a strong opinion about the the way kids are coddled today. So I am going to, you can stop it for a second. I'm going to go in the other room. Both of them. It's like, yeesh, they're both just sitting there staring at me like they didn't just eat 45 minutes ago. 
So I am well, going to go in the other room. While you walk, uh, let me just uh, kind of uh, recap here for the listeners. Uh, what's going to be going on uh, with uh, the upcoming uh, shows? Uh, you know, the uh, upcoming High Octane is going to be on the 8th of October. Um, and again, if you tune into the FSW network uh, for $6.99 a month, uh, you can uh, view that High Octane show. Um, and then, of course, on Sunday, October 23rd, it's going to be at 5 p.m. at the Silver Nugget Casino uh, here in Vegas. We'll tentatively. Be, tentatively, exactly. Um, boy, those those flyers will uh, have to be changed if it, if it does change. But well, uh, hopefully, we're going to know like very shortly if yeah. uh, we are returning to you know an older venue that we are in conversations with. But again, you know, it's not a priority for them. So it's like, hey, I'll send you something uh, Wednesday or Thursday. So, of course, I call Friday. Oh, yeah, I'm busy, man. Can you give me a call Monday? So I give him a call Monday, and, of course, nobody answers. It's like, you know, we kind of need to know. If, if you don't want us back at Sam's Town, then we're, we won't push the issue. But, like, you know, if I feel weird because it's supposed to be a sell. But if I called, it should show that I called you four times. So right. how about returning the phone call? Hey, Joe, talk to the boss. is not going to happen. Uh, we want way too much money. And as I explained to them, it's like, you know, we're going to be doing the ring crew for Impact. So all the labor costs Impact's paying for are for, for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We set up Thursday. The ring's there. The chairs are there. The bleachers are there. Sunday, instead of us taking it down, because we're the ones who are going to take the ring down and the stuff, which would be Saturday night. It's already paid for. So it yeah. isn't like, oh, well, if we do it Sunday, it's not paid for. Of course it is. It's been included, breakdown and setup. So yeah. there should be no reason why they can't give us a really good deal if they want to make some money. There's there's no labor costs. Yeah. Because the labor costs on Sunday are the same ones that were paid for for Saturday night. So... It's like, I normally would not be the type of person to be like, well, the venue is a sell. But for us, Sam's Town, I guarantee you will bring some people that hadn't been there in a while because they loved watching FSW shows at Sam's Town. Yeah. And, you know, there's people, oh, any chance of getting back at Sam's Town? You know, I haven't heard one person say, oh, is there any chance of getting back to Diversion Amusement? Not one person has asked me about it, but they still ask about Samstown, and some still ask about Silverton. Yeah. And we did good business there, so it's pretty disappointing that a venue would rather stay closed. And as I said to him, I, I understand. To do a one-off show for us, it doesn't make them enough money to do it. But they're making a lot of money on Friday and Saturday, and they don't even have to do anything to make more money on that Sunday, right? And you and you figure, and you figure how much, uh, you know. Let's face it the uh, the bar is it would do great. Um, 
you know, if there's food available, the food would do great. And there usually is. And, and Samstown, the prices were affordable. You know, it's like $5,000 for a two and a half hour show. I, I don't know when what world it's a local casino. You know, it isn't the it, it isn't the Bellagio where they piss on five thousand dollars. Right. Right. Samstown's known for its fucking bingo. How much money are they making on two dollar and eighty cent bingo? But they do it to get people in the door. Yeah. So now you're gonna get people in the door and you're not even paying me to get them in the door for you. So I'm going to get people. If it's bad, there's gonna be four hundred people there. I guarantee you we'll have six or seven. Yeah. We're going to have six or 700 people that are under the age of 70 that aren't playing bingo. And they're going to spend money. And then after the show, you're going to have 20 wrestlers go into the shitty TGIFs and spend $26 for a fucking, you know, chicken dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, we don't own the uh, TGIFs. Well, it's good for business that your place has business. Because I remember when we would do a show on a Sunday and there'd be 50 people in TGIFs. When there ain't a show on a Sunday, there's four people in TGIFs. Yeah. So at least when we were there six or eight times a year, they did good business. We tried to do an after party with them. They didn't want to give us anything. It's like, oh, wow, you, you won't even give us a discount. What do I need to go to you for? <laughs> it's amazing how much money people leave on the table. It isn't like, oh, well, we can't do your show because we're going to lose money. Nobody does anything that loses money. Right. Only us. You know, only I'll run a, a show that doesn't make money because I'm trying to put the best show on. And if it doesn't make money, it's like, yeah, well, we'll get them the next time. Yeah. No, that's a that's a fascinating, fascinating point. Um, and uh, it, it, just to to you know, in thinking of d diversion amusements, what was interesting is uh, went to uh, get some breakfast the other day at uh, an Eggworks uh, out on on Rainbow, and as I was walking out the door, you know, right right when you paid, I looked down. And there are just 30 flyers for diversion amusements. Yeah, no, it's the shows. Owner. no shows. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's have a flyer it's, on what then? It's just on diversion amusement, like just promoting the place, but there's no events, which right. shows you how much that it's it's so backwards that wouldn't you rather, as a business owner, since this is your business as well. Why couldn't you, you know, do good business like that and, you know, now have stuff to advertise instead of just here's the well, they, they made all that money on the Filipino concert that they're still counting their money, I guess. <laughs> you know, Joe, it's, that's... Like, it's like people don't understand math and it's like, oh, well, they're going to be paying a lot more than you. And I'm like, OK, so. Between what we pay and the door, the, the liquor and the food, you know, we're spent. People are spending seven thousand dollars, just say, okay. But we want to do eight shows. 
Well, seven times eight is 56. Even if they gave you 20 for one show, that's all you got, 56 or 20. Yeah. I, I don't understand the math in that situation. And it's like, well, okay, well, now you're running these shows every six weeks, just like in the past, and Samstown didn't want people, so they didn't want to run the shows. Yeah. Nobody ran at Samstown. Then all of a sudden, Paragon came, and I got Ring of Honor there, and I got Impact there. And Dave Mazzani was announcing for the MMA company that was there. And right. Roy Jones was there. And you could say whatever you want, but nobody looked at it as a venue for for combat sports until we became regulars there. And it took some years after we became regulars for other people to now start running there. And it's like, this is now your bread and butter. Impact right. and Ring of Honor are paying you shit tons of fucking money thanks to Joe DeFalco. Yeah. And instead of giving Joe DeFalco a free steak dinner, it was pulling teeth just to get the buffet from the motherfuckers. And then they would talk about, well, you know, we didn't make a lot of money, but, you know, I put in the good word for you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Because the higher ups uh, were going to keep us there when we're making zero fucking money for you. Yeah. And even if we didn't make you money and broke even because of what I did with impact and ring of honor, you guys made shit tons of money. Ring of honor came out there twice a year paying big money. Ring yeah. of honor uh, impact came out for three, came out for three days in the beginning where they were getting paid. Believe me, first contract I was in on. So I know what they were paying and they were paying a hell of a lot more than us. And then yeah. once they were paying that, then it came back to, well, Joe, you know, these guys are paying that much. We can't give it to you for this price anymore. It's like, motherfucker, I'm the one who got you in here. And instead, you jack up my price 60%. Yeah. Thank you very much. And what's fascinating on that is that um, the, uh, the idea, the concept of national TV company versus local independently owned wrestling company how the hell are you supposed to uh you know compensate that you know so they looked at you guys essentially at the same level because the business you were doing was at the same level of a national tv company well yeah we were out drawing them yeah so it's 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 mind blowing. Well, if we're out drawing them, then we're making more money than them, so then we should be able to afford to pay what they pay. And it's like, well, no, that's not really how it works. They got millions of dollars that are backing them, and they're a TV right. company. Right. And then they're and then Ring of Honor is owned by Sinclair, who right. uses, you know, who used Ring of Honor as the write off, while Impact has the Anthem that uses the Impact as a write off. It isn't a money making thing. They're yeah. running their shows, and if they do make money, it's based off the television show. Nothing to do with the live events. Yeah. Well, yeah. we rely on the, the live event to make our money. So right. if we don't have a good show, we're not making money that month. Yeah. Yeah, it's fa it's just fascinating. Um, and, and one final thing about venues. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, 
UWW, the women's wrestling uh, show, they apparently found their new home for December, and that's going to be at the House of Blues. How the hell are you know? How if you're a if you're a company that isn't really known, you absolutely have to have deep pockets, I would guess, to get a venue like that. Or you know, they were running the Sahara. How hard is it to get a venue on the Strip? Because obviously, you know, you've been at this over a decade. Um, it, it it just can't be, you know, really possible for you. It's not, co it's not yeah, cost right? effective in any way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, before their first show ran, the owner came to us. Uh, he knows Jenny Santana, who's like their host GM type character that she plays for them. Right. And he checked out the venue and we're like, hey, we can do it for this, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, keep it in mind. We need the ring. This is what we're going to do. Okay. And then he hits me up and he's like, hey, we got the uh, Sahara Hotel. I'm like, wow, really? You got the Sahara? And through inklings, I, I heard some numbers and it's like, wow, that's a lot of fucking money. Because we know what we pay at Samstown, but it's the strip. Nobody's giving you that. Right. You know, you're paying thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, working into the numbers, if you do a $10,000 gate and you're not GCW, you're doing pretty well, okay? Yeah. Take an average ticket of 20 25 bucks. You got the LETs. You got to take a few bucks off of that. You need 500 paid people to get to $10,000 gate, okay? Well, we're not talking about paying the talent yet. Right. Okay? So now they got Tessa Blanchard on the show. We had Tessa. I know what she kind of costs. She hasn't worked in a while. Maybe she works for less. But she's not working for 100 bucks. Yeah. So now you're taking what the talent costs. And you got to promote it somehow and spend money on advertising. So, you know, if you want to put it in the Las Vegas Weekly for a week, you know, and you're going to get a half a page, you're probably paying 800 to to $1,000. Right. So I heard what some of the talent got. And they give a number and, and, and they got, they're getting their money. So now you're talking about running a fifteen dollars to $17,000 show. So even if the average tickets are 40 bucks, which is really, really high, you need 450 people just to maybe break even. Yeah. Okay. And we know at the Sahara, they didn't have that. So he ran the two shows there because he signed the contract for two shows. And he's, then he made inklings back to me about maybe using the FSW arena. And it's like, bro, we can fit 270, 250 comfortable for a lot less money. Now, does the FSW arena look like the Sahara? Of course not. But if you're not drawing 500 people and you're drawing around 200 and family and friends, so we're not talking about that's how many people paid. Right. That's a lot of money that you got to keep finding investors for to, to say – 
You know, I always learn something. Oh, money's no object. He's got a lot of money. Money's no object. That was the story of the first IWF show. And guys who were working for 600 were getting paid 1000 Guys who were getting paid 1000 were getting paid 1600 Because the guy had a lot of money. Money didn't mean anything. So, you know, we had on that card, you know, it was uh, John Morrison against Shelton Benjamin. And Shelton was involved in the, uh, the booking with me, Johnny the Bull. Uh, but we also had the guys I brought in, which was the hot new talent, Rich Swan, Ricochet, Tony Neese, JT Dunn, uh, Willie Mack, Kevin Steen at the time, the Young Bucks, and the Shelton Benjamins and Johnny the Bulls, they pulled from what they knew. Hurricane, Carlito, you know, obviously a Morrison. You know, they used more of the ex-WWE guys. Chris right. Masters, I brought in Chris Hero. That's when I, and, you know, and later on they brought in Lance White, which was a good move. But the thing was, we were trying to be similar to like, I was trying to make it to where on the West Coast, nobody saw the Steens and Bucks and Ricochets and Swans other than PWG. And right. PWG, you ain't getting a fucking ticket to because they're in a 400-seat arena. That's it. They're sold out the first day. And the people who get it are the hardcore fans anyway. Right. So now we're in Phoenix and we have that type of show, but then we're mixed in with, and, and it's okay to have John Morrison. The motherfucker can work, you know? So Morrison and Shelton is a good match. But we had Austin Aries. We had Chris Sabin. We had Matt Seidel. You know, we, we had a who's who of that up and coming, you know, next generation wrestler, you know? When, when Ricochet and, old, and Swan and all those guys went to Lucha Underground, then we got Shane Strickland and Trevor Lee and A.R. Fox and, and, and all the, these other cats and Uha Nation, which is Apollo Crews, and we got all them there. But the bottom line was, before the show happened, the guy with all the money pulled out all his money because didn't think he was going to make money. But why would it matter? Money's no object to a rich guy. Yeah, a money's no object to a rich guy who's told he's going to make a lot of money doing this. And he realizes he's not making a lot of money and he's not a wrestling fan. So he was like, fuck this, I'm out, taking my money. And yeah. the guy we worked with, Tyson Tyler, was the guy who funded the whole show. So yeah. Tyson Tyler funds the whole show where this $600 guy is still getting $1,000 because that's what he was promised. <sighs> So the guy who put that together, which obviously wasn't me, it was on the other end, basically fucked over his friend for like, you know, five or eight thousand dollars more than if Tom Dick or Harry called up and said, Hey, what's your rate? Oh, okay, I'll do it for eight. Well, let's make all the money we can off the guy for one show instead of making our rate six times over the year. Yeah. And that business practice imploded and they all got paid the one time and, you know, and we did three shows, but it was totally funded differently. And they were some of the best shows uh, I ever did. You know, the, the last show we did had a guy like Drew McIntyre wrestling Tomasa Ciampa in the first round of a tournament. 
and then winning that match to go into a fatal four-way elimination match with now Apollo Crews, uh, Chris Hero, Brian Cage, and Drew McIntyre. Yeah. And then if you look at the rest of the card, the Young Bucks were on it, and uh, Biff Busick was on it, and Matt Seidel was on the show. And all those guys, Shane Strickland, Trevor Lee, all those guys are in NXT or AEW or in Ring of Honor before they ever were in that situation. Even Max Dupree, Sean Ricker, Eli Drake, LA Knight were in the show. All five of them. You think you think we'll ever see the uh, Royal Rumble that uh, does that with him? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> Mick Foley, sure. Uh, as we uh, as we think about uh, uh, wrapping up here, um, when you think about, uh, I'm back. Thank God, I'm not in my underwear. <laughs> when you think about uh you know what goes into um preparing for a show like a mecca uh right now outside of the the potential of the venue what is your uh your biggest obstacle that you're still trying to uh either get into place or trying to figure out Well, the thing is, you have ideas of where you want to go. And it was like, okay, I signed Toa. Hey, what's up, bro? It's a Sunday. Oh, you're good for it? Cool. Okay, so now Toa's in a spot. And, of course, you know, most of the FSW champions, you know, Hammerstone's obviously got to get a spot. Chris Bay's got to get a spot. You know, know, now you're looking for different people. Gregory Sharp's got to get a spot. And there's guys that should get a spot, but they don't got to get a spot. And then you pick and choose who you're trying to get in. We've always liked Chris Masters. Super good dude. Fantastic shape. Looks like a million bucks. And he's a better worker today than he was when he was in the WWE. So Chris Masters, for example, says, yeah, I'm good to go, Joe. You know, love working for you. You know, he knows Remy well. Remy's always wanted that match. Okay, well, so that becomes an idea that's penciled in maybe a Remy versus Chris Masters. But if we get one of Chris Masters' buddies, maybe they go in a tag team and they wrestle TBD for the uh, tag team championship. So now it's like, hey, I get hit up by Casey Navarro. Hey, bro, I'm going to be on the West Coast that weekend, blah, 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 blah. I can get myself in, love to work the show. Oh, okay. Why wouldn't I want to use Casey Navarro? It's a fresh guy. He hasn't been used a couple times. Guys are extremely talented. Okay, so I got Casey Navarro. And then it's like, hey, Tito, you going to be back from Japan? He's like, yeah. I'm like, New Japan's not running in the United States. They're running the week before, which was the issue the last time we were doing a show that are, I believe, the anniversary show. Right. Where... Guys like Bateman and Limelight and the 1% and Lawler, all those guys, if we wanted to use them, we couldn't because of that booking. Tito and Tito was free. So now I got Tito on the list. And then I'm thinking, wow, these two guys, they're in the MK Army. Uh, Tito was really killing it, beat Graves, 
involved in tag matches with Hammerstone. Then he punctured his lung, and we couldn't use him at the last year's Rumble. Right. So now we got him, and it's like, wait a second. So if I'm going to have Toa have a match, who's he going to work? Fucking him and Tito, man. We can bring back the Battle of the Bruiserweights right there. You know, if I needed a three-way, a Brian Cage in that match would really blow the roof off the place. <laughs> Willie Mack lives here. I obviously would try to use a Willie Mack. TJP, he's in Japan. So now that window's starting to close because he doesn't know if he's going to be back by that date. But I can't keep waiting. Right. So it's like now spots are starting to fill up. Okay, this is what I'm looking for for the Mecca Championship match. Uh, Davey Richards, him and Gregory Sharp, they had a draw. Yeah. Why wouldn't I put Gregory Sharp and Davey Richards in a Nevada State Championship match at the Mecca? Okay, well, we're leaning toward that. But there's also issues when it comes to champions wrestling on independent shows and how protective that particular company is in that situation. Right. So do I got to make it a three-way? Do I got to make it a four-way? Do I got to make it a singles and that guy wins? So now you, you have to mix and match. And, you know, I remember one time uh, I had for the first Mecca Grand Championship match, it was going to be Teddy Hart versus Morrison. And at the time, Morrison was also the Impact Heavyweight Champion. And Teddy was the middleweight champion of MLW. Right now, I like to say bullshit, but I hear the thing with AEW guys. They Tony Khan will let them work, but there's a lot of restrictions. So I get a call from Teddy, and he's like, "Hey, bro, you know, I put him over at the last show at MLW. I don't got a problem with it, but MLW doesn't want me putting over the Impact Champion. So now it's like, fuck. What do you do?" So it's right. like, okay, well, Chris Bay's around, him and Morrison. When he was a little kid, he took the picture. Morrison wrestled him for the Mecca. We're going to make it Teddy Hart and Jack Evans against Morrison and Bay. We're not losing much in that match. You know, everything's good. Morrison, Taya, uh, Evans, they're all at AAA the night before. No right. big deal. Jack Evans lives out there. Of course he misses the flight. Right. Now it's like, what the fuck? So it ended up becoming a three-way. So we changed that match three times from the original to the next change to the next change. Yeah. So it was three different matches that we had within a two-week process. So yeah. you have to be on your toes. You got to know what you're doing. You know, I have a list. It's no different than the, the even the, with the students. Like I said, you got to swap a seat those here, and now you got to find two guys to go here. But then you need to find a guy for Matt. Right. So it's like, okay, well, now if we break them up, now we're going to have all singles matches. And now we mix it up with a four-way. And then uh, Flyboy Freddy came with the Arizona crew. So we put him in the match just to, you know, spread it out a little bit, you know. Right. So it, it just becomes a difficult situation that it seems easy once the show's out there. Oh, what a great card. But sometimes it takes a long time to get that card. You know, we've had numerous shows where all of a sudden traffic, injury. You know, we had at the uh, last high octane, we had, I think, 
at least five women booked on the show. Okay. Uh, I get a message the day before the show. Alice Blair driving to Arizona gets into a car accident and gets a concussion. She's okay. She gets a concussion. She's out. Johnny Robbie fucks up her knee at the show the weekend, the weekend before and goes to the doctor. She's out. So that eliminated two of the five. And it's like, okay, well, it's kind of hard to... And it was okay if only one backed out because we would have did a women's tag match. Sure. Yeah. But instead it turned into a triple threat match with Viva Van and Milo and Rochelle. Instead of initially we were talking about three other women and doing a six-woman tag. But then one yeah. couldn't make it early, so we knew that. Uh, then Gypsy Mac couldn't make it. And... You know, things had to change. And sometimes yeah. they change on the fly where I have somebody booked and it was like, oh, I didn't know. Or, hey, and in some cases, it's my fault. Like, I remember one time, like, Alice Blair, where the fuck are you? Oh, remember I told you I was going to Mexico for family, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember it now. But there's so much going on that when it becomes a Facebook message and you read it, now you had to read 700 other things. It's right. easy to forget these things. Right. You know, it, it, it isn't WWE where you got a thousand top people in a thousand different positions. Right. Right. No, it's, it, that's a great point. Um, that's a, it, it, we used to do the same thing. And uh, when I was uh, casting uh, game shows, same thing, man. We'd, you know, you'd have your list of people and we'd have to bring in three to five backups who would not get to be on the show and I'd have to reschedule them, but they'd have to be around all day in case someone tweaked an ankle, got sick, et cetera, et cetera. And you're literally scrambling to put together what would be the most competitive game for that, you know, for that taping. Get me on pressure luck, will ya? <laughs> no whammies, no whammies. I used to love that show. I, I, I don't know if I know who's uh, I gotta I'll, I'll look into it I'll see uh, I'll see who's casting it and see if I uh, because I they rebrought it back after years. Yeah. Did you yeah. see the uh, documentary about the guy who had the system set? Yeah, which is mind-boggling that he basically won hundreds of thousands of dollars on that game and never got a whammy. Yeah, that's crazy how. How complicated some of these things are, and these guys are able to beat that system. It's some of the smartest people, uh, you know, because we look at, right? We look at Jeopardy, we look at Wheel of Fortune, we look at Prices Right. Those are like the three big staples who've been around for 40 years constantly. But it's those people who can figure out just by watching a show how to beat that system without you know going back to the quiz show rigging and stuff like that so I you saw one. did you see the one on the prices right no i don't think i have so for like 20 years the guy kept a journal and in the journal would be like hey we're giving away this boat and they would give it away, and then probably seven months later, they'd give it away again, and they give it away again. And a lot of this stuff was repeat prizes. 
So this guy literally had a book that he memorized of all these prices. And this guy was like in the showcase. He got within like a hundred bucks, you know, like he won everything. Wow. And it's like, wow. it's not illegal. He didn't do no. anything illegal. He just beat the system by being good enough to memorize it. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, the, um, the standards and practices on every single game show, uh, they are watching for everything from the, the minute the contestants get there until the minute they leave. Um, well, it's like the good old days with the, uh, you know, the, the blackjack dealers would cheat for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as you paid them in the back. I remember going to Atlantic City on a bus trip one time, and the guy was like, oh, I can make you some money. Bah, 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 bah. Made us some money. It wasn't a ton of money, but we had to kick him back money later. Right. And then I remember in Vegas, I was playing at the Stardust because I used to go there all the time. And uh, I guess – one of the dealers used to get weed, coke, I don't know, whatever, off this guy I knew who was a degenerate. And I was probably down whatever, 300, 400. He's like, come on. So he goes over and we go sit at a table. He's like, we're going to get you your money back. Ah. And this guy, you know, usually unless you have uh, a face card, you don't look underneath. Right. This guy would have a five and he would look under. Oh, I'd hit. I'd stay. So I knew this guy had 15 or I knew even though he had a 10, you know, he had a two underneath there. Wow. Because he looked. And it'd be like, wow. so of course you're not going to win every hand, but now you have the advantage right. of, that, of that system. And I did get my money back. There was a place wow. called Little Caesars. Do you remember Little Caesars? No, I do not. It was right next to the Aladdin, okay? And okay. Little Caesars was the craziest game in the world. It was crapless craps. So you can you just bet the whole board, okay? Wow. But then they had blackjack. All the cards were dealt up, okay? <laughs> All the cards were dealt face forward. You saw what the dealer had. <laughs> but if the dealer has 20 and you have 19, you still got a hit. Right. Yeah. You know you're going to lose because maybe one one time out of 100, you're going to get the deuce. Right. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. I didn't, oh, and I've never seen Yeah, I've never yeah, seen they that. They had the crapless craps and they had basically face-up blackjack and you still couldn't fucking win. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Well, man, now now I kind of wish that uh, Little Caesars never uh, went under. Yeah, the main thing was it was a, it was like the big sports book. They had a lot of off the board games, and they let you bet big money. You know what I mean? Those guys were you know pounding ten grand on a game like it was nothing. Like it was this little sports book, you know, where the Aladdin. It was like right next to the Aladdin, so. Huh. You know, it might be where that fat burger and shit is. I don't know. It's right. like right in that area. Sure, sure. And I remember we walked there from the Stardust because I somehow fell in with all this group of degenerate gamblers who were there all the time betting sports. They were all from different cities and states, and they came to Vegas just to do that. 
sports betters. And you see numerous guys that have a $50,000 bankroll, and three weeks later you never saw them again because they drove back home and lost their money. Or you'd run into a guy and he'd be like, hey, how you been? You got 100 bucks for me? You know what I can do with it? And it's like, yeah, nothing. That's why you're broke. You turn the 100 into zero and I'll never see you again. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, that that's some uh, insight here from uh, <laughs> from the DeFalco files about oh, the old days back in the yeah. Goomba days when things were safe. You know, if you uh, try to attack a tourist, you know somebody named Vito would whack you. Hey, uh, you know, my uh, my dad back in Chicago worked with uh, Sam Giancana's nephew. Uh, you know, the, the guy worked at the post office for uh, some 30 odd years and uh, would talk about his uncle Momo. And uh, yeah, Rocco you know. Lombardo, uh, his, his 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 brother. I'm not sure if Rocco was the brother. I think Rocco was the brother, but he worked crazy horse, too, because my owner, the guy, Rick, he was like in tight with the, the Chicago mob. You know, sure. and that's why he got he got blackballed and he got the 86th or whatever, the the black book. He got black booked, you know, yeah. after a while in that situation. But he was a guy that used to uh, actually all the other guys got black booked. They like they like Rick because he'd go down and he'd spend about two hundred thousand dollars a hand to blackjack. Jesus Christ. And it was funny because it was I never got to go, but he would bring some of the girls Obviously, Crazy Horse, too, is a strip club. He'd bring right. girls, and he'd bring some of the bouncers. And he'd give everybody a $1,000 chip to do what, what they may. Wow. But he would always bring, like, 10 people with him. You know? Wow. Everybody loved working for the guy because, you know, he let you make money. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I, got, I got a Mike Piazza story. I got uh, uh, Axel Rose came into the club. And they were just about to put out that spaghetti incident, the first Guns N' Roses album in years. He asked me to play it, so I had a CD burner, so I was slick. I played some old Guns N' Roses and burned it. And now I had a copy of the new Guns N' Roses shit. So needless to say, I I told my boss about it. Mike Piazza was a big, you know, uh, rock guy. So, oh, can you make a copy for Mike? I didn't even get an autograph ball from the prick, you know? <laughs> so I, I, I give it to the boss. All of a sudden, a week later, I get a cease and desist letter because Mike Piazza took the CD and he used to go on a, a radio station in New York. And he's like, hey, I got the new Guns N' Roses. And he played it. And Warner Brothers Geffen somehow backtracked to it came from me and, and, and threatened suing me if I ever uh, played it again. So. Did did you keep that? Did you keep that letter? I have that cease and desist. I think I saw it when I was uh, cleaning some shit out recently. <laughs> oh man, yes. <laughs> uh you know, stories on stories, man. Stories on stories. Yeah, I try to get Stu Stone to make the uh, Crazy Horse Two story. It's it'd be better than the Sopranos, man. A weekly Showtime series, I told them. One Big Happy Family, it was going to be called. <laughs> because there was two crews. One was from New York with the guy Vinny's guys. And then there was Rick's guys, the Chicago guys. Chicago and guys, everybody yeah. made so much money, but they all hated each other. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, 
But then there's yeah. rumors of, you know, foul play and things that happened. And, you know, I'm telling you, it would have been a good show. I can't believe Stu didn't do it. Instead, he does some uh, Blair Witch reject movie. <laughs> oh, man. Well, everyone, uh, we uh, we are running uh, out of time here this week. Uh, but uh, we're going to wrap the podcast. Up. We're never running out of time unless you got to go somewhere. Well, you know, uh, some of, some of us uh, do need to get uh, our beauty rest uh, before, uh, you know, we uh, turn into uh, hideous, ugly creatures. Very close. <laughs> but uh, uh, again, everyone, please uh, check out the FSW Network, uh, six ninety nine a month. Uh, you can check out the upcoming uh, High Octane on October 8th and go back watch the Future Shock that just took place uh, that we were talking about today and, uh, you know, check out some of the other uh, catalog matches that are in there and, and shows. You, watch, you can watch Jimmy Jack and then say five years from now when he, uh, he's headlining uh, an NXT show, say, I saw that guy's first match. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun of this. Uh, you know, um, again, if uh, if you're someone who maybe doesn't follow the independent wrestling scene, and uh, you know, Joe, we got some listeners from around the world. Uh, you know, uh, this is the perfect way to get an opportunity to see some of the young wrestlers uh, in the states that you might not be familiar with. And uh, again, it's you know, uh, the one thing is that. It's not, it's not shitty quality. It's good stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, that's important, too, because we know time is, you know, very important with so many options of entertainment out there nowadays and a lot of wrestling, you know, from across the world. Uh, so check out FSW if you haven't. Uh, check out the network. And, again, $6.99. And, uh, you know, uh, listen it pays for itself really quickly because you get all these uh new shows and uh get to know some of the young guys so uh we appreciate everyone taking the time to tune in taking the time to listen to uh the stories and uh i'm sure that we'll dig up uh maybe not the bodies but uh some more skeletons uh in the closet of uh some of the stories from the strip and from uh the uh the years that joe has spent out here and uh the things you've seen and the things you've done so until everyone until next week we'll uh see you guys next time